Pretty incredible, huh? So I'm Ryan Coley. I'm the youth director here at K2. So I work with all the, the students, so I'm so excited to be here. In K2, if you haven't noticed, we have a problem, and not just the economic meltdown that's going on in our society right now, but it's some other stuff that's staggering. I got on UNICEF's website this week and the One Campaign's website, and I found some statistics I think are going to blow your mind. Here's the first one. Every single year, 10 million kids die before their fifth birthday from preventable diseases. Every year, 10 million kids die from preventable diseases before their fifth birthday. Unbelievable. If they just had the right medicine, it'd be totally fine. More than 1.1 billion, not million, 1.1 billion people have no access to clean water. Wow, incredible. 38 million people right now have HIV AIDS, infected with HIV AIDS, 38 million right now. Hey guys, uh, can we do one thing? Can we do a little crunch? If there's seats between you, we have some new people coming in, and the 1045 service always gets packed out. One of the great things about it, but if there's any seats, just scoot on in, put an arm around the guy next to you. If he didn't wear deodorant, then you can hit him. But uh, yeah, that way we can get room for everybody so they can come in here. Hear my message. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Sorry, right, so 38 million people right now are infected with HIV AIDS. Listen to this one. 72 million kids cannot go to school this next year because they can't afford the fees, the uniforms, or the books. 72 million kids that want to go to school cannot make it happen. There's no way. The poorest area of our world is sub-Sahara Africa. Okay? It's a little region, uh, if you probably would know if you look at the map, uh, by Egypt. But um, 14.5 billion, okay? the poorest part of our world, pays $14.5 billion a year and repayment to the world's richest countries. Okay, so they owe the rich countries all over the world tons and tons and tons of money from way long ago. And so every year they're paying more than $14.5 billion in debt. And it's just like, how in the world is this right? And listen to this one. One out of seven people go to bed hungry every single night. One out of seven go to bed hungry every single night in the world. And I just read these statistics, guys, and I was just blown away. I was like, man, I have to do something with my life. You know, and Sarah McLaughlin, amazing artist. She sings some cool songs. She sings that angel song you guys probably have all heard. But um, she just said, hey, what little I can do, I'm going to do it to make this world a better place. So she took the 150 grand she designated for this music video, and she dumped it into places all over the world to bring hope to this place. As Bill Hybel says, you know, she unleashed unprecedented amounts of compassion into this broken world. And she was doing her part in making this world a better place. And man, I saw that and I was like, wow, I want to be a person like that. And the first time I watched it, one of my buddies grabbed me and he said, hey, Ryan, what are you doing? What are, what are you specifically doing to make this world a better place? And so I started thinking of my life this last week and I thought, what do I do? You know, and I automatically went to a couple Saturdays ago when I had the day off. So I had a day where I didn't have to work. And so I told Clarissa, my wife, the night before, I was like, babe, I'm sleeping in. So I don't usually get to sleep in, so I'm sleeping in on a Saturday. And so I got up, went to, the, went to the kitchen table, and she had bought donuts from the store from the night before. So I sat down, had a few donuts, enjoyed them. Then, you know, I, I moved to the couch to watch football because it's Saturday, it's the fall, and every guy watches college football, right? And so sitting on the couch, watching college football, hanging out with the family. Clarissa comes up to me, and she's like, hey, I want to go to this park. There's this really cool park by our house that's on, like, the side of the mountain. It's in Draper. It's really, really nice. So she's like, why don't me, you, and Bryn, our beautiful four-month-old daughter, I think we have a picture right there. She is. She's stunning, isn't she? 
So uh, she's like, let's go to the park and just hang out and be together as a family. I was like, no thanks, babe. I just want to watch some football. So I sit down, I watch football, and I, I realize I get kind of hungry. You know, when you watch football, you get hungry. So I, I could have went into the kitchen and made something or warmed up leftovers, but I was like, I don't want to do that. It's football day. So I get on the phone, don't even have to get up, and I dial the number, Pizza Hut. You know, I'd like to order pizza, and they're like, well, we can deliver it to you for $2. I was like, sure, deliver it. I was like, I got a question. Could you deliver it to my couch for $3? And the guy didn't even laugh on the other end of the phone. So he hung up. And so ate pizza, watched some more football, went for a walk with the family around the neighborhood, played a card game with Clarissa, and went to bed. That was my day off. And so I remember laying in bed that night thinking, oh, what a day. What a day. You know, but if I'm being totally honest here, I was like, man, it's a little empty when I only did stuff to please me. I didn't do one ounce of, of thought even to make this world a better place. I didn't do anything. One of my friends, you know what she does when she has a day off? She buys a first aid kit. This was a couple weeks ago. She bought a first aid kit. She's not medically trained. She's not a doctor, not a nurse, has no clue what she's doing. A little bit scary. But uh, so she, she just heads downtown. She heads downtown and says, all right, I'm going to see what happens. And so she meets this lady on the streets where her knees are all banged up and scraped and there's blood come out of them. And she just bandages them for her just loves her and listens to her and gets to know her story and engages in relationship with her. Just incredible. She meets this man with a self-inflicted knife wound. Okay, I don't know how it happened, but somehow he had hurt himself with a knife and he had sewed it himself. Okay, and so she's like, let me take care of that for you. So she rewrapped it up and put a, a bunch of Neosporin on it, I'm sure. So a little bit scary, but I just started thinking, man, what an incredible gal. She's doing stuff with her life that's counting. She's making a difference right here and right now. I said, why don't I do that? You know, why am I so bent on myself that I can't make a difference in this world? I, can, I come up with a couple excuses all the time that I say to myself in my head, in my heart, you know, that prevent me from being the person that I'm supposed to be. And here's the first one. I think someone else will take care of it. You know, if I see a need, if I see someone who needs bandaged up and you know, taken care of. I'm like, oh, somebody else will do it. There's people that are more trained, that know how to handle it better. They'll take care of it. You know, and sometimes I even think, I don't get paid to do that. You know, Bonnie, our compassion director, the lady who did the announcement, she gets paid to love people and to help them. You know, I don't get paid for that, so that's not my job. You know, that's one of the excuses that I say. I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's the truth. Here's another one. Sometimes I say, man, I don't have enough money to help people. If I had hundreds of extra dollars a month, then sure, I would bless people and give them stuff all the time and meet their needs and, you know, just bless the socks off of them. But I don't have that. And sometimes I even think, man, if I buy this person a meal, that means I may not be taking my wife out on a date. That's what really what goes through my head. Or I think, I don't have enough time. I work 50 hours a week right here at K2 with the students. You know, I don't have time to help people. And I'm realizing that everybody, you know, doesn't have time. We all make that excuse from time to time, you know. And here's the, th the third excuse I make. The first one, someone else will take care of it. Second one, I don't have enough money or time. The third one is that I'm really not going to make a difference. You know, you see, if I think, man, if I provide water for one family, there's still 1.1 billion people out there that are not going to have water tomorrow. Or if I, meet, if I give a guy a meal, you know, I meet him and I'm like, hey, I just want to provide you a meal. He's just going to be hungry tomorrow. You know, so I'm like, well, it's not really going to make a difference. And so these are the excuses that prevent me for making a difference in this world. For unleashing an unprecedented amount of compassion, I have excuse after excuse after excuse that totally prevents me from doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. The good news is, is there's a group here at K2 that, that they're not making excuses anymore. 
They are loving this world to bits. They're making a difference every single day. Stuff that happens beyond the walls of this church. And I just thought it would be really cool if I could list them all. All the cool and amazing things that are happening on happening daily. Lives that are being changed. And then at the end we could just celebrate it. So here's the first one. This last year, over 103 students, okay, high school, junior high, and college, over 103 students have invested their lives into, into the city by showing up at the YWCA, loving on the kids' orphanages, you know, showing up and, and doing ministry to the refugees, uh, hanging with the people at uh, the, the road home, which is downtown, it's a homeless shelter. Over 103 students have poured their lives into making this world a better place. Way, way cool. And by the way, if you're a student, and you want to join us, uh, Monday night for middle school, we're going over to Pioneer Park, or not Pioneer Park, uh, Lake Park. We're going to put a big screen up, and we're going to show the kids a movie over there, a VeggieTales thing, and take popcorn, and they're going to love it. And for high school, on Tuesday night, we're meeting here at 7, and we're headed, where are we headed? I just blanked, totally. So we're doing something really cool. What are we doing? Oh, we're going to the, oh, we're doing the movie. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm the youth guy. I forget stuff. We're doing the movie with high school. With the junior high on Monday night, we're going to um, the Open Door. We're going to serve all the kids out there. If you missed it, Open Door has over 90 different languages two miles from here, just, just west of K2, 90 different languages. And so what we do is we do an after-school program where we do homework with the kids, hang out with them, love on them, you know, share a meal, and just engage in their lives and welcome them to the, to the United States. So Monday night for middle school, Tuesday night for high school, and we'd love for you to join us. So 103 students have poured into the city. Next one. 12 people went to New Orleans, and they, they built homes for people that have never owned a home. 12 people built homes for people that have never once owned a home of Hurricane Katrina victims, and they gave them a home. So 25 people went to Honduras this last year, where they ministered to the women and babies at a women's center and worked with the kids of Los Pinos. 27 people went to Russia, where they shared the love of Jesus at an orphanage and helped the older orphans to transition into the real world. 35 people showed up, and they poured their lives into cleaning up a bunch of trash that happened from uh, the 4th of July festivities at Sugar House Park. Our little kiddos over in Adventure Canyon made 300 care packages for the people of Pioneer Park with toothbrush and toothpaste and deodorant and all the basic necessities of life, and they went down and they handed them out. They made 200 scarves this last year just to keep people warm. warm. Eight people went to Africa, and they shared the love of Jesus everywhere they went and loved on people at a local orphanage. And then listen to this one, 391, okay? 391 people have gotten involved from K2 in our compassion ministry. That's showing up on Monday nights for the open door, doing the meals ministry, doing the uh, rescue mission, you name it. And we've done it, 391. That's incredible. And that's, that was being, you know, very, not, not even very generous. We were just saying, oh, about this many people came. So that means you guys, every one of us, have pretty much got involved and done something to better this world is absolutely incredible. One quick story. Jessica, one of the awesome ladies that helps with uh, Monday Night Life, where you go downtown and love on the people at the uh, local homeless shelter, she met a lady named Teresa the last couple months and just engaged in her life and got to know her, and Teresa was eight months pregnant. And this last Thursday, Teresa had her baby boy. His name was Alex, and Jessica got to be a part of it. She got to experience it firsthand and see her other kiddos and love her and just be a part of her life just as a result of the stuff that happens every Monday night. It's amazing. So one of our teams was out at Heartland Apartments, a big refugee community, 
And so they're handing out stuff to the kids and engaging in a relationship. And so they hand this little guy a whole box of chips, like the variety chips from the Cheetos, Doritos, Ruffles, everything. And he takes them and he sprints home and he sprints back and he has this huge smile on his face. And they're like, buddy, what are you smiling about? He's like, I'm so happy. He said, I now have a gift to give every person that comes into my house. I mean, how incredible is that? And guys, we get to be a part of it. We're K2. We're changing life after life after life, making an impact for generations to come. We have no idea of the impact that's going on, you know, and the people that are being changed and the hope that's being brought into this world. So if you add up the number, we have over 601 people involved in making this world a better place. So let's give it up for these guys. 600. And here's the most wild part, is that's just the people that we know about. That's just the stuff that I grabbed a staff member and said, hey, how many people got involved in this? There are things going on every single day of your life where you're meeting needs of the people around you that we could add to that. You know, I think K2 is flipping this city and this world upside down. We're making it a better place. So the question is, what does God have to say about this? You know, what's his thought on the whole compassion thing and making a difference in this Mission Sunday? And so Matthew 25 25 verse 42 gives us an awesome illustration of how Jesus specifically feels about this. He's talking to his disciples here. Here's what he says to his disciples. He's explaining to them what's going on. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. So he was in need and nobody would look after him. Jesus is telling a story here. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. And what Jesus is saying is, ouch, if you, if you, if you call that, he's saying, man, when you didn't help a person that was in need, you did that to me. It was a slap in the face. And what Jesus is saying is that each and every single person that we come into contact with is Jesus. That means that person, that cashier at the supermarket that's moving so slow with the items. You know, and you're just like, come on, lady, come on. You know, and you're just waiting because you have to get home because you have a dinner party. Or that lady at the DMV that just is grumpy beyond all get out. She's just grumpy and she hates her job. And you're just like, oh, that person is Christ. Or that family member that you just cannot seem to get along with no matter what, no matter what you do. Or that person standing on the road asking for help. That person is Jesus. And so here's the craziest part. The greatest commandment, you guys probably all know it, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you take love God and love your neighbor, by loving our neighbors, by loving the people that God puts in our lives, we're loving God. It's truth first and foremost. Listen to what, what else Jesus has to say. He says in, again in Matthew 25, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go visit you? His answer is staggering. Listen to this. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. Again, Jesus is saying, when you help out the poor, the desperate, people in need, that's what you're doing to me. And so the question begs, let's pretend that you're, you know, you're on your way home and you see someone on the side of the road in need. You know, what would you do if that person was Jesus? Okay? What, what if you actually saw Jesus in need? What would you do? 
you do whatever you could. You give them the shirt off your back. You give them food. You give them money. You engage and you talk to them. But why don't we feel that way when it happens in life? 1 John says it like this. 1 John 3 says, this is how we know what love is. If you want to know what love is, it gives you a perfect example here. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So he's saying, you want to know what love is? Love is laying your life down. That's what Jesus did. And we ought to do the same, is what John is saying. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can, he, how can the love of God be in him? So he's saying, man, if you claim to love God, but you see someone in need and you overlook it and you have no pity and no compassion, do you really love God? That's what he's saying right here. This next part is incredible. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Let us not love with words or tongue, but in action and in truth. And I love that because so many times people give you lip service. And they're like, I love you. You're the best thing ever. In words and tongue. But he says in 1 John, actual love plays out in action, in what you do, and in truth. You know, and how it plays out in your daily life. And I just thought, man, that's what I want my life to be marked by is action and truth. And my little four-month-old daughter, you know, I want her life not to be a bunch of lip service, but to be action and truth. And our students that are under my wing, want to play out in them giving their lives away. And the cool thing is, is that Christ, Christ made the ultimate example in that he gave. The, what's the most quoted Bible verse of all time? You see it at the football games, they hold up the signs. It's John, John 3.16. You've seen it everywhere. And the cool part about that verse is that he says, for God so loved the world. Okay, so God loved the world. But the second part is that he gave his son. When you love, you give. Okay, time and time again, when you love something, you're willing to give. When you love, you give. That's just the way that it plays out. And we got to have this giving that's motivated by love. You guys know when someone does something for you and they're insincere and they're begrudgingly, but they're just giving it to you? That stinks. Paul says that, the, that it's worthless, that they gain nothing. You know, but man, my hope is that for every one of us that sits in this room, that we could be people who just give out of love. Just like the father gave the ultimate example in that he gave his son for all of us so that we could have eternal life and have hope here today. Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet long ago, thousands of years ago. And a prophet back in the day was a person that was God's spokesperson. So God would relay a message to Isaiah, and Isaiah would relay it to all of God's people. And Isaiah 58, I think, has profound, profound implications on how we live today. Here's what Isaiah had to say. So again, this is God saying it to his people through Isaiah. He says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? to loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wonder with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Listen to this next part. Then you, will call for, then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger of malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame. So Isaiah's instructions to God's people the part I love is where he says, and if you spin yourselves, 
Imagine if all of us said, all right, we're going to spend ourselves on things that matter, on things that count. And notice that after he says that, all of God's blessing comes. Whenever we get it, whenever all of a sudden we start to realize that every person that we love is Jesus and we spend ourselves on things that are worthwhile, all of a sudden God's blessings just flow. It's awesome. And the, the, the hard part is, is oftentimes we compare and we're like, well, I'm gifted this way and I could do this, but I don't see that person doing anything. So I'm doing more than them. And we begin to feel better about ourselves. But God says, hey, don't compare. It doesn't matter what this person or that person's doing. It's what are you doing with the gifts I have entrusted you. Reminds me of a story of a man named Telemachus. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. He was born in like 300 AD, somewhere around there. But in 404 AD, so he, God called him. He lived in Turkey. God called him to move to Rome. He was 21 years old. So he moves to Rome and on a whim. He's a, a Christian guy. He's a Catholic saint now. If you were raised Catholic, you probably have heard about him. Um, but Telemachus, so he's, he's living in Rome, walking the streets, and he hears the buzz of everybody talking about some gladiator thing that's happening that night. He's like, what's going on? And apparently there's a big event going on at the Colosseum where the gladiators get together and they fight each other. And so he starts inquiring. He's like, well, what's a gladiator? And a gladiator is a person that they would, not, not a volunteer like today where they have long lists and people are signing up on the internet to be on American Gladiators with Mr. Hulk Hogan. But back in the day, they, what they would do literally is they'd rip people from their homes and their villages and their families and they would take them and they'd drop them in the middle of the Colosseum and they would say, fight for your life. These guys would fight other people, you know, for entertainment. It was a sport back then in the Roman culture. They would fight till the death. You guys have probably seen the movie with uh, Russell Crowe. So that's the story. One of the things that would happen was Caesar was like the head honcho guy, you know, the king of the day. And so Caesar would get a feel for the crowd. And if one of the soldiers was about to die, he could appeal to Caesar. And Caesar would look over the crowd and say, all right, do they want him to die? If they want him to die you give them a thumbs down. If they wanted them to live, you give them a thumbs up and the gladiator could breathe another day. And so this day, Telemachus is in the stadium. He's in the nosebleed sections. 80,000 people are in this Colosseum and Caesar gave a thumbs down and they killed a gla- uh, the gladiator killed another gladiator on the spot. And people are cheering and chanting and going crazy and something in Telemachus's gut says, oh, this isn't right. And so what he does is he stands up on top of his chair in the nosebleed sections of a coliseum full of 80,000 people. And he yells out at the top of his lungs, Stop! In the name of Jesus! And everybody looks at him and they're laughing and he, he begins to walk down the steps of the coliseum. And the whole time he's walking down, he's yelling at the top of his lungs, Stop! In the name of Jesus! 21 years old this guy is. It's documented. If you look him up on the internet, find all the information about his life. So he gets to the battlefield. He's standing in the sand between two gladiators, and he says, Stop, you guys, stop in the name of Jesus. And one of the gladiators takes a sword, and he knocks Telemachus over. And Telemachus is on the ground, and the crowd starts to chant, Through with him. Run him through. Run him through. That's what they start to chant. Run him through. And so one of the gladiators takes a sword, and he jabs it in Telemachus' stomach. Okay, this guy, one last screech, yells out, Stop in the name of Jesus. Okay, gladiator pulls out a sword. He dies right there on the spot. Blood fills the sand, and the whole crowd grows silent. Nobody says a word, and one by one, they leave the Colosseum. You know what happened three days later? There's never been two gladiators that fought each other in that Colosseum. The emperor made a decree. He said, all right, no more. This has to end as a result of Telemachus' life. He put it into it in January 1st, 404 AD. And so I heard that story, and I was like, man, Telemachus was a guy who spent his things, 
on life that counted. He spent his life on things that counted, on things that mattered, on things that would make a difference in the grand scheme of life. And I thought, man, I want to be a person that does the same thing with my life. And so the cool news is, is there's people here at K2 that are spending their lives in amazing ways. And so I just thought, man, I want you guys to get a picture and, and, and get, a, I get to hear from one of these people that are doing exactly that. So would you guys welcome Kate Cruz to the stage? <laughs> Tell us about yourself. Tell us about how you got connected to K2 and to God this last season of your life. Um, well, I uh, had a long journey away from, from Christ, I will say. I, um, and coming to K2 was kind of a big step for me. I um, had was sent one of the flyers that you guys sent out, and I took a look at it and thought, oh, well, that seems really nice, and then just put <laughs> it in a pile. Yeah. And um, it kind of sat there and cycled through with some bills and things like that for about six months or so. And um, I know that throughout this time, um, I had been talking to, to my mom, who I have a great relationship with, and she has a wonderful relationship with Christ, and I know that she was using the power of prayer to, to say, you know, please help my daughter find her way and um, return back to her faith. And so I stumbled across the flyer again, and then I said, oh, I had this great idea. I'll go to church. And I remember calling her and telling her, like, it was my big plan, and I did it all on my own. Um, <laughs> And so she was like, oh, that's really nice. Good for you. And I, I uh, managed to get the courage to come to K2, which was kind of hard because uh, in the crowd this size, especially sitting in the back by yourself is hmm. pretty intimidating. It is. Um, but I managed to come in, and, and that was how I found the, this church family. So That's incredible. Um, tell us about, about Honduras. So what happened? You're sitting in the service in the back row, and all of a sudden somebody... Well, I think one of the things that brought me um, to K2 was I noticed that you guys had um, a big calling for people who instead of just wanting to be, as Dave's talked about a lot, just kind of Sunday Christians, I felt a great, a great calling um, to kind of work through, through service and working with my hands and feet because I didn't yeah. feel like I had still been connected, um, to quote Mary Lynn from last Sunday, as, you know, being like churchy enough. And so I felt this is a way I could serve. Um, and so within two Sundays of being here, uh, Holly talked about Honduras, and I just knew I had to go, um, and I didn't, I don't really have any skills, or <laughs> I didn't really think, because I'm a ballerina, and I teach yoga, and I didn't think <laughs> that there was a great calling for that in Tegucigalpa, from what I understood, and I don't know that there, maybe there is now, but, um, so uh, I think that that was a really amazing, huh. amazing trip, and so I decided to go down um, with the 17 women that went on the trip. And um, we worked at a local hospital. Wow. Um, and worked with women that had just uh, delivered babies, and some of them had had C-sections, and some of them um, just really needed us to clean the babies, swaddle the babies, work with them, work on breastfeeding, um, just spending the time with them when they had a lot of needs. We also worked at the refuge, as you had mentioned earlier, with um, girls that had been sexually abused and had uh, children from a result of this. And so we worked with them working on their self-esteem and their growth and also their relationship with their children and also making sure that their children were developing well. And we worked in the village of Los Pinos, um, which uh, has a lot of children that um, are very eager, eager to learn. And we taught them how to brush their teeth and how to take care of themselves and kind of just do daily things. There's also a wonderful breakfast program at the church there. Um, that can come in and feed the children and everybody's welcome and everybody can get some food and get some clothing and whatever they might need. So we reach, reached out that way. 
Wow. So six months ago, not coming to K2, not, not connected with God, and now all of a sudden life is upside down, totally different than before. Tell us about the last six months, of, have ch- how they've changed you forever. Well, um, first of all, I would say definitely the connection um, of God's love through the women that I was on the trip with. Hmm. I think, like I said, I went down to Honduras and I had no idea what I was doing there. As a matter of fact, uh, Mary Lynn and I were sitting on the plane next to each other and someone was asking us why we were going. And we said, we don't know. Where are you going? We don't know. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> and so we, I mean, that was literally how the trip went. And, and through the women that I met, I could really feel the power of, of Christ's love to give mm-hmm. to that community. And um, that's also what I learned from that community was even when you don't, when you have not a lot of material possessions and not a lot of things that you yeah. can have God's love, you can have love of friendship, you can have love of others in your life, and it makes a huge difference. And being at the refuge, I saw a lot of courage in the teenage moms, and um, uh, being a victim of um, a sexual assault myself, I had a very uh, hard time finding Christ again, because I was very angry for many years and didn't understand Mm. how this could happen to myself or to others. And I think through that experience, I um, was able to soften my heart and see that um, now I have something to work through that and yeah. that, that a lot of women really need a voice. And so I've started working at the Rape Recovery Center in town uh, to work on their hotline and to be there for women of sexual abuse or for men of sexual abuse that might need a voice and might need some comfort. And I think that I found strength through the trip to Honduras and the women that I was with and knowing that I have Christ's love behind me when I can help these women have a voice. So, Did you guys hear that? Oh my gosh. So I, <laughs> I just see Kate's eyes, and I think, man, God is so proud of her. She's spending her life on things that count, loving on these women, being a voice in them, and I think he's just so proud of her. So one more time, give it up for Kate. Thank you. Don't we serve an incredible God? We really, really do. So guys, imagine this. All 600 that, that joined Compassion this last year and did incredible things. What if all 1,200 of us did it this year? We said, all right, we're going to do something. We're going to spend our lives on things that matter. We're going to unleash an unprecedented amount of compassion into this broken world starting today, and we're going to make this world a better place. I think we would flip it even more upside down than we already have. So if you're, here, you're sitting here this morning, you're probably one of these three groups. Okay, the first camp over here is you're very focused on you. Whatever you can do in your life to bring yourself pleasure, that's what you're going to do. If that means getting this item, you know, going to this place or eating this food, that's your desire in life is just to focus on yourself. You know, and if that's you, we want you to know that we love you and accept you. But man, God has so much more in store for your life, you know, a life that's worth giving away. I've only found my joy, my true joy, when I, when I give my life away. And so my challenge to you, if that's you, man, that you would find somebody in need this next year, that you would see something around you and you say, man, I'm going to take care of that. If that's as easy as mowing a yard, taking someone a meal, or engaging in their life, someone that you already know and love, that you just need to engage and be a part and just give to them. You know, that would be you. And if you're like, man, I don't have a clue as to what that looks like or how to get the focus off of myself, you can grab this K2 Local Compassion Guide. There's 33 different opportunities in here, ways to get plugged in and connected, and ways to start giving your life away. K2 Expedition tells about the trips that are coming up, uh, Honduras, Russia, you know, New Orleans. Love for you to grab that and just figure out, man, what can I do? And just begin, you know, to figure out, what can I do to give my life away? 
You know, and, and you're going to realize sooner or later that, man, this life that's focused on you is not enjoyable in the end. There's good moments, but, man, there has to be more to this life. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, man, I don't have for a love for people. When I see these videos and hear the stories, my heart just doesn't break. My encouragement to you is just begin to pray this next month and say, Lord, break my heart for the people that you want me to, want my heart to break for. You know, is it the rape recovery people or is it the, the people without water? Whatever it is, and then he'll guide you and instruct you. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced the love of Christ, you know, the part that we said, for God so loved that he gave, man, open your heart to God. It will, you're, in for, you're in for a treat, man. He has incredible things in store for your life. So that's the first camp. Your life's focused on you. You know, that you would begin to realize that that's not the way we're supposed to live and that you would do one thing this next season of life. The second life, the second, the second group is right here. I feel like some people go around and we have dual lives. There are times in our lives where we are focused on people in need and people that need help. And we're like, man, whatever I can do to meet that need, I'm going to do it. And there are times in our lives where we're like, all right, I'm all focused on me. I totally forget and don't even remember the needs that I saw just a week ago. And so if that's you today, if you have two dual lives going on, my hope and my prayer this week has been that you would sit before Jesus, you would lay your entire life at his feet, and say, all right, Lord, what do you want me to do as it pertains to your energy, your finances, your time, all of it? You would just lay it all at his feet and say, all right, Lord, you make this thing because I can't make it anymore. The third group over here, man, you're a person who's spending your th- yourself on things that are worthwhile, similar to Kate. You know, like We're just like, man, you're doing something with your life. And if that's you today, I just want to encourage you, keep fighting the fight. And when you want to pitch in the towel and say, I'm not making a difference, you would grab that towel and you'd, and you'd begin, to be a, begin to be a towel you wash people's feet with. You know, that you would be one of those people that says, hey, I'm going to do this and I'm going to stick it out. And maybe this next year, you can figure out a couple of ways to get more effective. Maybe it's reading a book that helps you learn how to love people more. Crazy Love by Francis Chan, one of the best books I've read the last couple of years. So incredible. If you need a good book, grab, grab somebody that's further along and say, man, how did you get here? You know, and learn from them. And this was my other thought. How cool would it be if you're over here and you're spending yourself on things that are worthwhile, what if you grabbed one of these guys over here, somebody with dual lives or somebody that's focused on themselves, and you just said, hey, I want you to join me this next year you know, as we do this together and have them partner, you know, and all of a sudden they're going to be getting it and you're going to be replicating yourself. And so if every single one of us in this room, if we began to spend our lives on things that are worthwhile, we had flipped the city upside down and this world would look a heck of a lot different than it does right now. And every person that we meet, remember, we're meeting Jesus. Every hand that we shake, every conversation that we have, every meal that we purchase, every hug that we give, that is Jesus himself, as it says in Matthew 25. So my hope is that us as K2 would be a church that unleashes an unprecedented amount of compassion on this broken world this next year. St. Francis of Assisi, he's a Catholic saint. He lived about 800 years ago. And he, he wrote this prayer, I think, that is so profound. I want to stick this on a frame in my bedroom or something. But uh, he said, it says that he, was, he prayed it very often. But what you guys to do, we have it on the screen behind you, is just to pray it. Pray it in your heart and in your head. You know, if you want to say it out loud, you're welcome to join me. But man, I, just listen to what he had to say. The prayer of St. Francis Assisi. He said, Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. And where there is sadness, joy. O oh, divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood 
as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. I love that prayer. Did you guys catch the part? It says, O divine master, grant that I may not seek to be loved, but to love. For my little baby girl who's four months old, my prayer for her life is that she doesn't seek to be loved everywhere she goes, but that she would be a person who just radiates love. And the same prayer for my students and for every one of you guys in here, that that would be what K2 is known for. That we're not always coming in saying, what about me? But we would be a people that just say, we're the people that are going and doing and sharing the love. And so what we're going to do is we're going to worship. We're going to worship the Lord God Almighty. And you guys see the card that was sitting on your chair? What I want you to do is just put it in your hand. Okay, put it in your hand. And during the worship, I want you just to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it I can do to bring hope to this world? What is it that I can do to make this world a better place? What is it I can do to unleash an unprecedented amount of compassion into this broken world? And when he tells you something, I want you to be a person, and I want to be a person who does it. You know, for me, when we're at the local children's orphanage with the students, all of a sudden I come to life because I'm like, oh, we get to love on the kids that they haven't found love from their parents. We get to minister to them and give them hugs and talk to them and read them books, and it's just incredible. And their eyes light up, and they're excited to see us. I'm just like, oh, that's when I come to life. You know, and so my hope is that we'd all sit before Jesus, and he would say, hey, I want to put this on your heart this next year, and that we would be a people who do it. You know, and that you'd stick that card somewhere you'll remember it, in your car, on the, right next to the speedometer. You know, not like in the middle of your windshield or something, but um, you stick it in a, a mirror in your Bible, next to your bed, whatever it is, and that every time you'd see it, you'd be like, all right, am I unleashing an unprecedented amount of compassion in this world? What am I doing to make a difference? And that we would be the people of K2. This last year, 600 people got involved. Imagine if 1,200 of us said, all right, we're going to do all that we can to make this world a better place and to bring hope to people. You know, and so we're going to worship, and Kate is going to do the dance that she performed for the people of Honduras. It is incredible. It's a total act of worship for us, too, just to watch that this is one of the gifts that God has given her, and she's using it for God's glory. You know, and people are amazed by just watching her and that we would be a people who do that. And you're going to see pictures when we do the worship you know, of all the different ministries that have happened this last year and the amazing things. And just look at the faces and say, man, God, what is it that you have in store for me? And I am willing to do it.